Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed, and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. Thank you all for helping us with worship today. Everyone lift your hands to heaven for a moment. Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy in our lives. Lord, I'm gonna be singing that all day. Send your revival and send it now. Wake up your church, God. I thank you for your presence and your power in our lives and as your spirit leads us, that we'll always land on truth, that your power is being released and that your peace floods over us as our hearts are open to receive everything you have to say to us today, God. Thank you for each person, Lord, listening, whether remotely or in person, that you, Holy Spirit, are present in our midst. As your word says, where two or more are gathered, you're in our midst. And I thank you that you bring freedom, that you bring encouragement, and you bring hope today in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, welcome, everyone. We're so glad to have you with us today. Greetings to all of you that tuned in and to those of you that are here. You know, when I look around the world, you know, sometimes I hear people talk, oh, it's getting really dark out there and there's lots of evil and there's no justice in the land. And sometimes it looks that way, but my Bible tells me that God is coming back for a glorious church. And I really feel that this is the time when the church is gonna shine the brightest. This is the time when the power and the glory of God is gonna be revealed to the earth. This is the time when the sons and the daughters of the kingdom take their place. And this is the time that we start rising up and we start demonstrating his goodness. We start demonstrating his love to those around us in the world. And one of the things that I feel is a reflection of being a son or a daughter of the king. One of the things that we have to reflect is we love people. We love the lost. Our hearts should always be towards lost people. We wanna see lost people come into the kingdom. We wanna see lost souls come in. We wanna see salvation and healing and deliverance and freedom come to the people that we come into contact with. Jesus, when he was here on earth, he lived a life fully obedient to the Holy Spirit. Everything that God told him to do, he submitted to God's plan for his life, and he lived a life of surrender. I want to talk to you today a little bit about surrender. Can everyone say surrender? You know, I surrender. All? Wow. He surrendered to the Father God, even to the point of death on a cross. He was willing. How many of you have died on a cross? Not today. We might not die on a cross like that, but we're going to learn from the scriptures that we have to take up our cross daily. In Luke twenty two forty two, Jesus is talking, he's praying. He says, Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. Isn't that our heart's cry as believers today? As sons and daughters of God, isn't it the cry of your heart that you want to do God's will, not your own? Oh, it's quiet. For me, I want to do his will. I don't know about you. It should be more of him and less of me as time progresses, right? Isn't that, isn't that how we live? 
God is asking us to surrender to God's way as Jesus did. God is asking us to live his purpose out, his plan in our lives every day. But it requires something from us. You have to lay down your life every day. You have to die on the cross every day to the things that you want to do. I'm getting ahead of myself already. Wow, this is good. But we die to our selfish desires. We die to our lusts. We die to our pride. We die to the things that we think are important. And we let them die on the cross so that the resurrection life of Christ can come up inside of us and we can start living his, his best life for you and his best life for me. And I'm going to read to you three accounts from Matthew, Mark, and Luke in a second. And I'm telling you, I think this is the most popular verses in the whole Bible. I'd be willing to bet that not too many of you have these verses up on the wall. Because the verses we put on the wall are the nice verses like, love is patient and love is kind. And God is faithful to complete the work that he began in us. How many know? And we're going to soar like wings with eagles, right? Those are the verses we like to put on the wall. Anyone know what I'm talking about? But let's, let's look at some words from Jesus in Matthew 16, verse 24 to 27. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, does anyone want to be a follower of Jesus? You must. I think that's imperative. You must. Give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. Three things. Give up your own way, take up your cross, follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? For the Son of Man will come with his angels in glory. And the Father will judge people according to their deeds. How many with me so far? How many still want to be followers of Jesus? Mark 8, 34. Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. This message preaches itself. This is how you share faith with people. Give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow him. It's an easy salvation call. It's a great exchange. But he says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you yourself are lost or destroyed? If anyone's ashamed of me in these adulterous and sinful days, I went back to Mark, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And he says it again in Luke 9, 23 to 26. Then he said to the crowd, if you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily and follow me. If you want to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. If you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. What do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you yourself are lost or destroyed? If anyone's ashamed of me in my message, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in glory, in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. What does it mean to give up our own way? What does that mean to you today in 2020? I'll make it easy. Refuse to follow yourself. Don't follow me, I'm lost too. I love that bumper sticker. Cracks me up. Uh, I'm pretty good with directions. Um, but the thing is, don't follow ourselves. We need to follow God's plan. We need to follow his path. We need to follow his way. And, and too many Christians are trying to earn their salvation today. They profess Christ and they think that if their good deeds outweigh their bad, then they're going to be okay with God. 
if your good deeds outweigh your bad, that's good. It should be reflected that way in your life. But that's not what gets you to heaven. It's the blood of Jesus that gets us to heaven. It's a sacrifice at the cross. Jesus did the work. We're supposed to respond to the work that he did by living the Christian life. There's many people today that are confused because they want to have Jesus, but they want to do things their own way. So I use this as an illustration. If you're going on a journey and you need to walk in a single direction, you can't walk a little bit this way, then turn around and walk a little bit this way, and then turn around and walk a little bit this way and expect to get anywhere fast. I mean, how many of you left your house this morning and you went down the street, then turned around, and then you went back to your house and picked something up, but then you went down the street, and then you went back and you turned around? You're not going to get anywhere. And some people do that in life. But they're never going to get to where God wants to take them because they still want their, their own selfish will and ambition is on the throne of their heart, not God. And they go around in circles. In fact, your way and God's way are incompatible. It don't work. Are you depending on Jesus in your life or are you depending on your intellect? Here's a good indication if you're depending on your intellect more than you're depending on Jesus. You're faced with a situation in life. Do you try to solve it with your mind first or do you try to solve it by going to God in prayer first to get some direction and guidance from the Holy Spirit? Now, I'm not talking about solving how to make coffee in the morning, but there is some life issues that come up out of our heart that we need to go to God with. But so many times we try to rationalize the gospel. We try, to, we try to take the message of hope that is spiritual and we try to interpret it through a natural lens. And it doesn't work. Are you depending on your achievements to win favor with God? See, we win favor with God by obeying what he's asking us to do. We obey his word. We allow the spirit of truth to transform us. We allow God to change us from the inside out. This is the heartbeat of the Christian life because what's happening is you're in this process of sanctification where sometimes you fall down, but you get back up, you get back in the race, and you keep moving forward. And as you progress in your faith over time, you should fall into sin less often. Less and less. This is sanctification. God's working it out inside of us. But how many know the process is always painful? Has anyone ever tried to develop some muscle mass? None of you have ever worked out? <laughs> My goodness, I'm talking to the wrong crowd. Okay, let's think of another illustration on the fly. No, seriously, you've worked out with weights, right? How many know the process of lifting weights is supposed to be a little bit? No pain, no? And I know some people debate that, but the point I'm trying to communicate to you is the process is painful. When you're going through the process of life, sometimes it creates pain for you. Sometimes there's suffering in the flesh. But I guess if Jesus suffered in the flesh, why would we not suffer in the flesh? But we obtain a better resurrection. Think about the prodigal son who thought life would be amazing with his newfound independence. It didn't quite work out like he thought it should, did it? You ever find yourself in a situation that didn't work out quite like you thought it should? I did. When I was a kid, I was a firebug. I like to light fires. I did. I like to start fires. I might have burned down a field one time. Don't try this at home. We were um, down by Little River. We used to hang out there, east side of Windsor. 
Probably spent way too many hours down there. Public Works probably loved us. One time we built a dam across the river, about 10 feet tall. Backed up water through the golf course. Oh. It was fun. Um, but we found the, uh, the old uh, truck tire. You know, the ones that you can make into a fire pit, the, the hubcap from a big truck. And, and so I was working to start a fire in there, but it was a little bit damp, even though I once started a fire in the rain this particular time, I was having a hard time. So I went to go get more kindling, and I told my little brother, Tim, shout out to Tim in Niagara Falls if he's listening today. He was just a little. I said, Tim, don't touch anything. Now, I heard it said one time, if you want something done, you do it yourself. You hire someone to do it, or you tell your kids not to do it. Some of you will get that tomorrow. I said, Tim, don't touch anything. I'm going to get some more kindling. But he had been watching his older brother blow on the little coals underneath. So he stuck his head right over that pit and blew straight down on the fire. And of course, the flame came flying up and it singed all of his hair. So we went home and I gave my brother a haircut. It was a good haircut. I was proud of that haircut because it looked good. I remember... Uh, going up to my dad saying, hey, I, I gave Tim a haircut. His hair was getting kind of long. My dad looked at him for a second and said, yeah, it's a nice hair. Hey, what happened to his eyebrows? <laughs> that didn't quite work out like I thought it should. <laughs> Anyone ever been there in life when it didn't work out like you thought it should? You're standing at a dead end. Maybe your marriage didn't work out like you thought it should. Maybe that job interview didn't end like you thought it should. Maybe that conversation didn't go the way you thought it should. I don't know how many times I set my desk on fire. Gaetan always made sure, the guy that got me all the stuff to light the desk on fire, made sure I always took care of things. But taking up your cross is something that we have to learn to do and considering the cost. And we have to give up our own way. Because even when you pray, God doesn't always answer your prayers like you think he's supposed to. He answers his, your prayers based on what he feels is best for you. Now, for some reason, we're very fortunate in my household. My kids fight over vegetables. Dad, you can eat that broccoli? Um, yes, I would like some broccoli. Thank you. You can't take it all. Those green beans, Dad, do you, do you, yeah, can I have some before you take more? Salad goes quickly. Okay, my point is this. Vegetables can be very good for you. How many know this to be true? But sometimes we don't like our vegetables. But they're good for us because they have nutrition and things that we need. Are we doing okay? And what happens is you can do it your way or you can do it God's way. You know, kids have to be trained to eat their vegetables. And some still fight. And some adults still don't like vegetables. I've met people that their idea of food is stuff that I wouldn't even touch. I'm not even kidding. But, the, but, but what happens is we have to be trained to come over and do things God's way. It's the same. In life, 
God wants to teach us to do it his way. But so many times we want to do it our way and it doesn't work out quite like we thought it should. But I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit's here today because he wants you to get a revelation of this, that when you start doing it his way, he'll start turning things around for you. He'll start turning things around. Your life will start going in a different direction. But doing it his way requires us to take up our cross. Luke 14, 25. Jesus is talking to a large crowd, and I think he was trying to thin out the crowd. Because everyone was all excited about the miracles he did, and everyone is excited when he started feeding the 5,000. And you know, ooh, he makes food? <laughs> I'll follow you, feed me. Jesus was thinning out the crowd here. And he's, he's using this language that was common for a Hebrew teacher in that day. And he says, if you want to be my disciple, you must. And New Living throws it in there. By comparison, hate everyone else. He's not saying to hate everyone else. He's saying, if you love me so much, it looks like you hate everyone else because you love me so much. Your father, mother, wife, and children, brothers, sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you can't be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. I asked you earlier, how many want to be followers of Jesus? Everyone said, yeah, I want to be a follower of Jesus, but you can't be my disciple if you don't love me more than everyone else. He gives us the terms of being a disciple. You know, true story. Probably not the best opener. I don't think I open with this. But before we were married, I explained to my wife that she would always be number two. I did. True story. Because I want to put Jesus first, then she can be second. And if I keep him first, she should be content to be number two. See, some of you thought I was going to put myself first and her second. Come on. We joke about this all the time. What's mine is yours and what's yours is yours. My kids, they start shopping out of my closet now as they get older, you know. What's mine is yours. What's yours is yours. I don't shop out of their closet. Can you imagine me trying to put my daughter's dress on? I have to qualify things now with them, right? Because when they, I tell them they can borrow a sweatshirt or a sweater, it becomes a part of their wardrobe. And they think that they can just go. I have, this is a one-time offer. No one else has ever gone through that, right? But see... We have to lay down our life and serve others. We serve humanity. We serve our husbands and wives. We serve our children. We serve. Jesus in verse 28 says, but don't begin to be my disciple until you count the cost, right? For who would begin construction without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete the foundation only before running out of money. And then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. My wife and I go for a walk most nights, and we walk down this one street, and there's one house that has been sitting half-finished for like, we've been there for two years. It's been half-finished for two years. Every now and then you see someone working on it. My gut read is they ran into some complications in the process, maybe with the financing or whatever, but that house is mostly unfinished. I bet their neighbors love that. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 marching against him? If he can't, he'll send a delegation to discuss the terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. 
So you can't be my disciple without giving up everything you own. These are the most preached verses in the Bible on Sunday mornings across America. Matthew Henry says this about this context. He's a commentary guy. Though the disciples of Jesus are not all crucified, yet they all bear their cross and must bear it in the way of duty. Jesus bids them to count upon it and consider of it. Our Savior explains this by two similitudes. The former showing that we must consider the expenses of our religion, the latter that we must consider the perils of it. Sit down and count the cost. Consider it will cost the mortifying of sin and even the most beloved lusts. The proudest and most daring sinner cannot stand against God. For who knows the power of his anger? It is our interest to seek peace with him. It is in our interest to seek peace with him, and we need not to ascend to ask the conditions of peace. They're offered to us and are highly to our advantage. How many know peace with God is highly to your advantage? In some way, a disciple of Christ will be put to the trial. May we seek to be disciples indeed and careful not to grow slack in our profession or afraid of the cross, that we may be the good salt of the earth to season those around us with the savor of Christ. You know, we're going to talk a lot about salt and light this fall. Somewhere around the middle of September, when you come back, we'll be talking about the salt and light series, and we'll pick up on some of these concepts. And, uh, you know, when I was in Manila, one of the hardest things was not going on the street and winning people to Jesus. The hardest thing was, once they converted to Christianity, to get them to enter into fellowship with the local body of believers. Because sometimes, when you have to leave your family of origins, religion, to go into Christianity, it creates complications. Now, how many of you would still follow Christ if you lost your inheritance? I guess some of you have more to inherit than others. It's an easier decision. But would you still follow Christ if you were going to get written out of your parents' will? Would you still follow Christ if it would cost you everything you own? Because the truth is, everything you have is God's. He gave it to you. All your possessions, your breath, it's his. We're just stewards of what he has given us. So that's why sometimes it's hard for people with much stuff to obey in the area of what is the Holy Spirit telling you to do. So many times, people forsake the relationship with Christ so they can make more money, so they can relax, so they can have some downtime. I wrote a bunch of ifs here. If you take a break from Bible reading but not porn, you're not taking up your cross. If you take some time off your prayer life so you can chain watch something else on Netflix, you're not taking up your cross. If you stop fellowshipping with your Christian brothers and sisters so you can go out partying or drinking, you're not taking up your cross. If you choose to isolate yourself and struggle alone, Instead of engaging in community, you aren't taking up your cross. If you like murmuring and complaining, but you can't enter into praise and worship, you're not taking up your cross. If you can watch every hockey game and tell me all the stats, but you can't understand water baptism, you're not taking up your cross. If you can share gossip, but you cannot share faith, you're not taking up your cross. If you can mistreat your wife, but pamper yourself, no comment. If you can curse with the best of them but can't receive food with thanksgiving or even pray to say grace, thanks, thankful to God for what you have, you aren't taking up your cross. 
If you can trust in lottery tickets and casinos, but you can't give to the poor, you're not taking up your cross. See, taking up your cross is something we have to do every day where we mortify the desires of our flesh, the lust of our flesh, where we put down our self-will and our pride, and we take on the nature of Christ. And every day as you go through life, when you have thoughts that come against the knowledge of God because you're reading your scripture and it tells you what your thoughts should be. And when your thoughts start disagreeing with the word of God, you crucify them to the cross and you let them die there. Because you know what? Those thoughts are not going to produce life inside of your life. Sin produces death and destruction. So we have to align our thoughts with hope and with truth that God has given us. Galatians 2, 17 to 21. But suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ and are found guilty because we have abandoned the law. Would that mean that Christ has led us into sin? Absolutely not. Rather, I'm a sinner if I rebuild the old system of law I already tore down. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me, so I died to the law and I stopped trying to meet all its requirements that I might live for God. He's talking about in the Old Covenant, there was this law that they tried to follow, but they couldn't. And the whole purpose of the law in the Old Covenant was so people realized that they weren't good enough to do it on their own. The only one that ever kept the law was Jesus. Everyone else fell short. And he's talking about this law condemned me. So in the New Covenant now with Christ that we read about in Hebrews at the beginning, this New Covenant that he's birthed, we're dead to the law because we're now alive in Christ. But then he says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It does cost you something to live for Christ. It costs you your life. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law can make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. If you could earn your salvation, Christ didn't have to come. If you could be good enough without him, he didn't need to come to planet Earth and die on a cross. He was wasting his time. If you're suffering in the flesh by not yielding to temptation and sinful thoughts, you're going to be sinning less. See, even Christ suffered in the flesh, but he obtained eternal life, a resurrection life. God raised him from the dead. Now he sits at his right hand and he judges the living and the dead. For you and I, sometimes when we mortify the flesh, there creates some suffering. I mean, come on, how many of you like chocolate cake? A few of you. But how many know you can't eat chocolate cake for every meal? I mean, you could, but it might not be the healthiest thing. So what do you do? You mortify your flesh and you suffer through having to not have chocolate cake. It's such a rough life. When we're sinning less, we're transforming into the image and likeness of God. Are you walking in the freedom that Christ purchased for you on the cross? Is sanctification working itself out inside of you? Are you transforming into his image and likeness? Are you seeing the power of God released in your life? As you are walking down this road, you will find that you sin less or you yield to the temptation of sin less and less as time progresses. My hope is that five years and ten years into your Christian faith, you're going to come to the place where you don't struggle with the things you used to struggle with. Why? Because you're gaining victory over temptation. You're gaining victory over sin. You're gaining victory over your flesh. 
So the things you struggled with at the beginning, you should get better at overcoming. And then as you progress, you get better at those things. And then you go to other things and you keep progressing. And it's always a journey where we become more like Christ. 1 Peter 4, verses 1 to 4. So then Christ suffered physical pain. You must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too. I told you these are verses that everyone loves to hear. For if you've suffered physically for Christ, you've finished with sin. You won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, but you'll be anxious to do the will of God. You had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy, the immorality, their lust, feasting and drunkenness and wild parties and their terrible worship of idols. Of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things they do, so they slander you. One translation brings it out, they vilify you. Have you ever talked to some of the people you used to hang with before you gave your life to Christ? And they tell you things like, we liked you better when you weren't a Christian. Has anyone ever said that to you? You know, one guy I knew, he was a, I'll call him a mean drunk. Bad things happen when he drank too much. But after he gave his life to Christ and started walking out his sobriety and, and living good, his friends and family, we liked you better when you were a mean drunk. Now, maybe that doesn't make sense to you and I, but I want to explain a concept to you. We all know that in some places, when you turn on the light, if there's any insects in the room, like roaches, they scatter, don't they? Okay, listen. It's not always a cleanliness. Some places, they're just everywhere. Cockroaches, about this long, sometimes I'd find them in my room when I was living over in Southeast Asia. And if you step on them, they stink. So I would scoop them into a little cup, and I'd pour them into the toilet. But if you flushed it, they would swim back up. So I would take my lighter or matches and my hairspray and go, and the heat would hit them, and they would flip over, and then you could flush them, and they wouldn't swim back up, and they didn't stink. See, I told you I was a firebug. When you're living a Christian life, the light that you represent will automatically expose sin in people's hearts around you. And that makes them uncomfortable, just like it made you uncomfortable before you gave your life to Christ when you got around people that were living right. People get uncomfortable around people that are making right choices. Doesn't it say somewhere that they loved darkness, they didn't like the light. And we have to remember, when you do not participate in sinful activity like you used to, it's always going to start shining light and exposing what's going on in someone else's motives within them. And sometimes people don't like this too much. Which leads us to, are you following Jesus? Are you following Jesus? Are you allowing the Spirit of God to change your life? When you read the scriptures and God's speaking to your heart through his word, are you allowing it to transform the way that you think, the way that you act, the way that you interact, the way that you serve? Is it changing your attitude about others? Is it changing your attitude about life, your situation, your circumstance? Because if we're followers of Jesus and we're allowing the word of God to speak to us, what's going to happen is it's going to change our world starting within us, and it starts working its way out. 
Are you listening to God's voice? Are you listening to his prompting? Are you listening to the guidance of the Holy Spirit for life? Are you letting him pour out his wisdom and his understanding upon you? Are you walking in the path of life? Are you choosing the path of sin, which leads to destruction? Which path are you on? You have to make up your mind. You can't be on both. What is it, the red pill or the blue pill? Path of life, path of death. You can't have both at the same time. Are we following Christ daily? Have we come to the place where we've actually looked at this and said, God, I surrender all to you. I am going to forsake my own way of doing things and I'm going to start doing things God's way. You know, there's a lot of people that they do things God's way on Sunday morning in their own way the rest of the week and they wonder why they're walking around in circles. They wonder why they're confused. The Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. That's why they're unstable. That's why they're confused. They're trying to walk down the path of life and the path of death at the same time. Are we coming to the place where we take up our cross, where we take every thought that goes against God's word, every wrong attitude, every wrong idea, and we crucify it, and we lay it down at the cross, and we let the resurrection life of Christ come in, and that will start changing the way you think. It'll start changing the way you act. It'll change your attitude. Jesus wants us all to be his followers, but there is something that has to be exchanged. Our life of sin gets exchanged for his new life for us. And he encourages people to consider the cost when they're going to follow him. Why? Because he doesn't want people to just convert and say the prayer, and then they're in Christianity, and they find out it's going to cost them their sin and they can't stay in their life of sin. they got to start transforming. God wants to start working some stuff out in them. They have to tell the truth now. They can't tell lies anymore. What is your big secret sin that you don't want to surrender to God? I don't know what that is in your life. It's your secret. But why would we keep something that is going to destroy us from the inside out when we can lay it down at the foot of the cross and let God heal our life and restore us to a place of wholeness? Why don't you stand up with me? Why don't you come up, pray over the bread for sure. For those of you that don't know, this is my wife. So she's the buttercup to my Wesley. You know, when Pastor Urji was sharing his message today, there were some scriptures he read in God's Word that are just so amazing um, that I feel like there are just certain scriptures that need a little bit more reflection, a little bit more thought, a little bit more sitting in the Lord's presence for us to get the full revelation in. Um, the passages he read this morning, and he read them out of three different uh, Gospels, um, were very important, very key, especially when just sitting in God's presence and meditating on them and reflecting on them in his presence. And one of the things that the Holy Spirit uh, really brought out to me 
uh, as I was sitting and listening to him was when Pastor RJ was reading and it says um, in his word, you know, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world, the whole world, and lose his soul? The world is a big place, a really big place. And to gain the whole world, to have all that the world has to offer, because you have to remember Jesus was the one who created the world. He made it in all its fullness, it's all its beauty and all its glory. But what does it profit you, Jesus said, to gain the whole entire world and lose your soul? And just sitting and thinking and meditating on it more as just God began to speak to me and share with me that, as Pastor Arjo was pointing out, that, you know, the love that we have, if we have God's love in our heart, that love comes out of us and the love that we have for just wanting and just needing everybody to know and have and experience that love of Jesus. And that we're just bursting out wanting to share and give out that love and share the gospel with people. And taking up our cross and following him, it may seem sometimes and it may feel sometimes that the cross is the cost. You know, when the word tells us count the cost, that you are taking in the whole scripture, the whole the full gospel, the full counsel of the word of God, not just all the parts that feel good that Pastor RJ was talking about, but the parts that don't feel the, the greatest. And especially when we're looking around us and we see people who aren't serving God, and it would seem that the cost isn't so great for them. They get everything that they want. They have everything they want. They get to do everything that they want. They get to live life the way they want. And for me right now, as I'm serving God, man, I'm walking through some stuff. And at times it's painful. And it hurts, and it feels like God is just uh, squeezing and pressing. And it's like, God, I, I've given you every last drop. What, what, you know? And we're looking around, and we're seeing those people that it would seem they're not paying a very high cost, and we're paying such a high cost. I just, I want to encourage you, and I want to remind you that Jesus paid the cost. He paid it for us. You didn't have to pay the cost. He did. And in his grace, in his enablement, as we take up our cross, the cross that he has for us, and we don't look to our neighbor and the cross that they're carrying, but we keep our eyes on Jesus, he enables us to carry it because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Because that yoke and that burden that's easy, it's, it's sin that he's taken away from us. He's taken it all, all that is holding us back, every weight, every burden. So his yoke is easy and his burden is light. But there is a cost that is so great, so great that Jesus can't even pay it for you and that's, that's the cost of saying no to him. And when it seems like the world isn't paying a cost and the people that you think are living life the way that they want and going around doing whatever they want to do, when Jesus returns, the cost that they pay is so much greater. It's the highest cost, and it's a cost that Jesus cannot rescue them from. And in our hearts this morning, each and every one of us I know knows someone that is dear to our hearts, and we don't want them to pay that cost. We want Jesus to come into their heart so that they don't have to pay that cost. 
That's separation from Christ. Because don't be deceived. The Word of God tells us that every single person, everyone on creation, will have the opportunity to say, yes, Lord, or no, Lord. Everyone of their own free will. So this morning, as we receive communion together as a body, I would ask that we hold close to our hearts and intercede for our loved ones, our friends, those in our circle, our neighbors, that we can share with them the love of God so that the cost that they pay won't be dear, but they can come into the kingdom of God with us and that they see Jesus in us. Amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for the bread of life. Lord, it's a symbol that we remember of your broken and bruised body, of the price, the high cost that you paid for all of us, everyone in the whole world, if they would come and choose to receive it. Lord, we thank you for each and every one of us here as we're thinking about those that we hold dear to our hearts, those individuals in our sphere of influence, in our circle, within our relationships and our connections, Father God, we lift them up to you, Lord God, and we ask you, please, that you would make a way for us to be able to share the gospel, to be able to share with them Jesus, to be able to care for them, to serve them, to love on them, to be doers of your word, not just hearers of your word. And Lord, I thank you that your word also says that they that labor to build the house will labor in vain unless the Lord builds it. Lord Jesus, we ask you please, build your church. Build Windsor Christian Fellowship. I pray that you would work through us, you would work in us and through us, that we consecrate our hands, our feet to you, our eyes, our ears, our mouths to you, that you would work through us to those that need to hear the message of the gospel of Christ and the message of hope. And because, Lord, your Holy Spirit is leading and guiding the building. You are the master builder. That your word also says that you will bless and establish every work of your hand. And because our hands and feet are moving in your direction, moving in your guidance, moving in your way, Lord God, that you've established the house. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So, Lord, we thank you that as we go out into our world, as we go out into our sphere of influence, Lord God, that we remember those all around us that need to know you. And we ask you, please, to search our hearts for our own personal obedience to you, Lord, that we would take up our cross 
and obey you, Lord Jesus, personally for the things that you tell us to do. That we are not in competition in comparison with our brother or sister, but we are walking beside each other in partnership, in love, in mercy, and in grace. Thank you, Father, that we can build each other up in the kingdom and we can be there to encourage each other. Thank you, Jesus, for your broken body. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you paid the price to make us whole again in Jesus' name. Father, with the cup in our hands, we surrender our lives, our thoughts, our dreams, our desires to you. Thank you that we're aligning ourselves with your truth from your word, and we're obedient followers. Lord, we're not going to choose our way, but we're going to choose your way today. Help us all to mortify the deeds of the flesh each day and live for you. In Jesus' name. So now would be the time that we receive our tithes and offerings. Thank you for your faithfulness in this area, and I just want to pray. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to sow in your kingdom. I thank you, Lord, that you bless those who sow in faith. You bless the generous man. His world gets larger and larger. And those who are faithful in the area of tithes, Lord, I thank you that you rebuke the devour from their lives. Because you are faithful, as your word says, in Jesus' name. Amen. My final thought is, if you're a guest here, if you're new here in the last little while and you've never come and talked to us, Pastor Larry will be just right across the foyer, set up over in the cafe area. Stop in and say hi, shake hands or bump elbows and talk to us for a minute. We'd love to get to know you a little bit. God bless you all. Go in peace and grace and have the greatest week of your life. Amen. <laughs>